0: How many of you have been watching the news or listening to the news? These are precarious times that we're living in. I don't know whether they are worse or more dangerous today than they ever have been in the past. But, you know, there is the very real potential... that that fellow who lives in North Korea may become over, over-exuberant and press buttons that he shouldn't. Is this true? This is a dangerous world. Hurricanes, floods, fires. But for those of us who belong to the body of Christ, mostly, it's the opposition of the enemy. And there are folks who are living in areas of this world, they don't know whether they will see their mom and them tomorrow because of the gospel. They don't know whether their children will not be arrested and tortured. And what do we as God's people do as a spiritual ministry to strengthen ourselves and be encouraged and fight against Fear and anxiety anger frustration all the issues that are the result of weak faith what do we do? Suppose this country were overrun and invaded and all of a sudden we are all in a very bad circumstance what do we do? Let me recommend that we read the book of Revelation. (laughs) Are you kidding? Anything but Revelation. You see, this morning we're continuing in our summer Bible jam. And the purpose of the summer Bible jam that the Lord gave to Keith... Is for us to see, to read, to take a moment to savor, smell, taste, look at, so we can encounter God in His Word. Because the more we read the word this way, the more we are going to encounter this God of ours. And perhaps one of the primary reasons why you may say, I don't encounter God very much. It may be that you're not in the Bible enough, or it could be that... You're not reading it the way the Holy Spirit wants you to read it and would lead you to read it. So this morning we end with Revelation. And next week, Brother Evan will bring a conclusion, an overview. But we end this morning with Revelation. Now, admittedly, it's the most difficult and confusing book in the Bible. Is there a rapture or not? Some say yes, some say no. If there is one, is it at the beginning of the tribulation or is there, or at the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation? Will there be a thousand year reign literally or is this? A, all of these questions, who are all these strange creatures? What is all this about? And so I said that reading Revelation would be what we need to do in the midst of these kinds of trials. And I don't say don't read it if you're not in, a trou- not in trials, but especially. Why? You see, the reason is, is because of what Revelation is all about. The reason to read Revelation is because of what the central core message is all about. It's not centrally about times and all these people and epics, China, Antichrist. It's not about that. Essentially, it's not about that. It's about someone. more glorious and majestic than all of these other questions and issues. So perhaps if Revelation hasn't meant a whole lot to you in the past, perhaps you've been reading it from the wrong perspective for the wrong purpose. So this morning, for the first part of this, I want to spend just a moment Now, you know, when a preacher says a moment, either he doesn't know what the moment means or he's lying. Mm. I want to do a, a presentation of some of the general background of Revelation. I want to go through it pretty quickly. I think you have some notes on these things. And what I'm going to talk about right now is in a good study Bible, if you don't have an ESV study Bible, for instance, get one. Get one. Get one as a gift. Christmas, birthday. Ask for one. This Christmas, I would like you to give me... Let's get one. Because it is of the utmost significance that we know what God is saying to us. So let's, let's do some seeing by looking at this background overview information. And as I said, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Because I want to get into a passage. First of all. Revelation, the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypse. Ooh, apocalypse. The word apocalypse simply means an unveiling or a revealing. An unveiling or revealing. That's all it means. It has necessar- not necessarily in and of itself anything to do with the last times. However, it is used in the book of Revelation to relate to the unveiling or the revealing of the activities and results, etc., of those last times. But the word itself means unveiling. Listen to the first verse. The revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave to John to show to his servants the things that must take place soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So that's the first thing we need to see. Secondly, this is a prophecy, a prophecy. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, there are two issues concerning prophecy that we want to make clear concerning Revelation. Revelation is a prophecy that contains foretelling. Here's what's going to happen. This, 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 and this. And it is also a prophecy which has instruction in it. You remember the prophets of Israel. Most of their prophecies were directed toward Israel and the days where they lived and the events in which they were involved and had instruction, but then they were giving events that are coming. So Revelation both reveals and foretells the events that precede the return of Christ at the end of the age. It's an epistle. Remember Pastor Keith talked about an epistle. Simply put what in verse eleven, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. What is an epistle? It's a letter. I don't think I need to go into any more detail than that. However, to the millennials and so on, a letter is that which on a piece of paper, you take a pen and you write things down and you say, dear so-and-so, and say, love always, and you put your name. That's a letter. Or in the modern vernacular, Revelation is an email to the church. Whatever. Does that help some of you know now what an epistle is? The author... Who, who, who is the author of Revelation? I didn't say who wrote it down. Who's the author? There is a scribe whose name is John. But the author is the king of glory himself, Jesus Christ, who dictates directly and through other agencies of angels the message that is to be given to the churches. And so the author is Jesus. The date. The date is probably the mid-90s AD, during the reign of Domitian. Now, that isn't in this letter. It is just basically understood because of the content and etc. Domitian was a Roman general who became the emperor. And when a Roman general became an emperor, they were much, much, much more severe on anyone who did not proclaim that Caesar was Lord. And so Domitian, understanding that the church did not believe that, cracked down most severely. Much more than under Nero and some of the others. Domitian is a problem person. And so the church was undergoing severe persecution. Persecution. Destruction and death. Now that's important to know because this is the reason Revelation is given to John to write to the churches. Because it is God's message. What is going on? How am I to live through this? Where is God? You don't have to raise your hands, but I think that there may be some this morning, you may be thinking that in a couple of particular areas of your life. Where is God? Perhaps you have thought that. Where is he? Where is he? And revelation is God's message via his son to John telling the church where he is, Who he is, what's going on, and how he brings it to conclusion. That's what revelation is all about. And so in verse 1, the rest of the verse is a revelation of Jesus Christ to show his servants, the church, the things that must soon take place. So revelation, if you would, is a message of, and I've listed five things from the verses, God's triumph in Christ. I don't know whether you know this or not, but God wins. No, seriously, God wins. How many of you watch the Saints several years ago when I think it was New York, we were playing in order to get the NFC title. Wasn't that, was it New York? Sorry, I can't hear you. We were playing Minnesota to get the, before going to the Super Bowl? Okay. I knew it was somebody. Well, at least I knew it was somebody. What, what, what? Terrence is making fun of me. I don't like you. I don't like him. He's always looking down on me. He's six foot five. He looks down on everybody in here. <laughs> and so, I was upstairs in my room not watching it. I get too nervous. Mayo, I, I had to go away. But downstairs, the TV's on. And I hear, woo, ha, ah, oh, ooh, ha, ah, yeah. My wife is watching. And faithfully, she dashes upstairs and said, we won. And I was waiting for the (laughs) punchline. In the midst of watching that contest, or other contests, how many of us can ask, where are the saints? Do you know what I mean, Donnie? You know where they are, but where are the saints? In other words, what's going on? Are we going to what Now... Knowing the end, I could then watch the rerun very calmly. <laughs> you know why? It's the same events. Well, I could read about them calmly. Why? Dan, I know the end. Church. We really do know the end. The devil wants to deceive you in thinking there's a different end. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves and guarantees the end that we read in Revelation. If that is not the end, Jesus did not rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, that is the end. Amen? So, I don't know what's happening. But I know this. I know whose we are. And I know that he wins the day. That eternal day of God's blessing. Church needed to hear this and still does. So the purpose of revelation is to reveal Christ's victorious warfare over all the spiritual forces in the heavenly, telling us two things. Until the end of the age, Satan will continually attack, and the attack will grow more and more vicious as we move toward the return. These are going to be the most calm, collected, Easy days that you ever experienced. And then at the end of the age, Satan and the rest of his gang will be defeated by the return of the Lord Jesus as he ushers in the new kingdom. Therefore, what? Be steady, be assured, hold the course. Stay in the boat. Maintain the faith. Our God is with us, is for us, and wins. That's a message I need to hear now. Yes, you may clap for God. Yes. It's true. We meet with people all the time whose lives Satan is seeking to destroy their faith. We meet with people who are overwhelmed with their sin and feel like everything's over. Look what I've done. We meet with people who feel that all of life and hope is gone. Stay the course. God is with us. God is for us, and he will take us all the way through in victory. Amen? This is what we're getting from Revelation. The Revelation is in three parts. What you have seen past, what you are to see present, I'm sorry, what you are seeing present, and what you're going to see, what's taking place in the future. Now, here's the problem with Revelation. All these symbols and visions and signs. You know, they're four living creatures. Oh, good night. There's a lamb who sits on the throne. They're four horsemen. Where where is John getting all this stuff? Or rather, where is Jesus getting it as he gives it to John through a vision? Well, he's getting most of it from the Old Testament. And so he's writing to a people who know their Bible. And so when he reads about these horsemen, he remembers Zechariah. When he reads about a lamb sitting on the throne, he remembers Daniel. When he reads about these creatures, he remembers Ezekiel. So these symbols and these visions and signs, for the most part, are taken from the Old Testament. Now, these are not explained, they are just referenced and used as genre or literary tools that represent real events and real people. One of the most prominent symbols in the book of Revelation is the number seven. Fifty-five times, seven, 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 seven. Seven churches, seven candlesticks, seven spirits, seven stars, seven seals, seven spirits of God, seven trumpets, seven crowns. I could go on. Fifty-five times. Why so many sevens? Well, if you were to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord completes creation... And then what does he do? What does he do? He chills out. Now, what day is this that he's chilling out? What day? Seventh. The sixth day is finished. Then the seventh begins and God rests from all of his work. Why? Because that which he has done on the seventh, it proclaims that the work is completed and finished. That's why we know what the word seven means. It has to do with completeness, fullness. And so the seven spirits of God. Oh, I thought God only had one spirit, brother. It means the fullness of the work of the spirit, the seven eyes, the ability to see everything comprehensively. That's what that means. So, how do you know these things? Well, you just have to go to a good reference Bible and look them up. And let me recommend you do that before you listen to everybody's understanding of these things in the popular media. What about the golden lampstand? Remember the golden lampstand? What is that? Well, Jesus tells us it represents a church, but what is a golden lampstand? Where have we seen a golden lampstand before? Exodus. Exodus. Hmm? You see, they remembered. I told you. I told you. And you didn't think they would remember. Exodus. Remember Exodus chapter 25. And the Lord said, make a lampstand, a menorah. And it, has, it, it is all one piece of gold, a big shaft, and then six branch, five, three branches on each side. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven, it has to do with the fullness of the light of God. And so, seven candlesticks talks about that. So, the churches are the lampstand. The seven churches are seven lampstands. Why? Because the church is the light of the world. And so, what the Lord is saying here is write to these churches in Asia Minor, seven of them, because they represent the full church, the complete church. And from Matthew chapter 5, we remember Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So that's some of the significance that we need to be aware of when we read Revelation. Now with that scanty background, let's turn to chapter 1. So everybody has a Bible, turn to chapter 1. Now, do you notice in your notes, no verses are given? Anybody see that? What do you have on that page? A bunch of lines, don't you? Did we put lines on it or just space? Hmm, okay. I did that purposefully for this reason. I know where I want to begin and I know where I'd like to end, but I don't know where the Lord will agree with me on that. And so... What I want to do is merely take a passage and walk through it together. And let's see what the Lord will show us. Now look. We read the word of God. God gives us his word so we can experience him. That's the essence. That we may know his presence Is with us. Otherwise why am I reading the word of God? Who cares about it? If it's not the. Means of God. By the spirit of God. To do two things. Bring me to him and him to me. And to unite us together. In relational fellowship. As first Peter. One four says. We've been made partakers of the divine nature. And we function in and appreciate and experience and benefit from that relationship of the divine presence through reading his word. And when we say reading, we just in the beginning, God created heaven, but we re- talk about getting our eyes focused, start looking at words. And then allow the spirit to be connecting to our minds what that word is saying. To begin to give us understanding, seeing. And when we begin to get understanding, to stop for a moment and contemplate what that means to me. And as I contemplate what that means to me of who God is and who I am and what he's done and how he's using me then I can begin by the Spirit to encounter this God on a personal basis. That's all I want to do today. I just want to walk through a few verses this morning in chapter 1. And I want to encourage you this. There are two ways, or maybe more than two, at least two ways of reading your Bible. Both are necessary. Not one better than the other. Both are necessary. We need to read through the Bible. We read, need to read the books of the Bible. You know, yesterday I read two chapters. Today I'm going to read three chapters. And tomorrow, whatever it is, going through. But there's also, in the midst of that reading, and if your schedule doesn't allow it, then maybe at another time of the day, as I'm reading through it, be aware of God's desire, that as we read the Word of God, we encounter the God of the Word. Otherwise, it becomes miscellaneous information to us, and there is a spiritual benefit in it, but the blossoming benefit, the blossoming benefit is knowing our God. In such an incredibly personal way. And it's done by seeing, savoring, and encountering. So let's do that for a few minutes. As I said, look at your your Bible, Revelation 1. And the first several verses introduce John. He's in the Lord's day in the spirit. Okay, fine. Verse 5. By the time we come to verse 5, revelation of Jesus Christ begins to be introduced. And John begins to identify this Jesus Christ whom he has mentioned in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So in verse 5, he begins to identify him. Faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Now, he starts off in the first chapter, I think, essentially giving us everything we need in order to be able to walk through the storms of life in a persistent and steadfast faith. But he's going to elaborate, or at least the Lord is going to elaborate on what is said and who is presented in the first chapter. Then the other chapters will give an elaboration or an unfolding, a revelation, an unveiling of the Lord Jesus. He's called the faithful witness. Remember Jesus' purpose? to manifest the Father, to be a witness of the person, the character, and the purpose of God the Father. That was Jesus' purpose. That was the kernel purpose of the Lord Jesus. His kernel purpose was not to seek and to save those who were lost. That was the means of accomplishing his purpose. His purpose was to manifest the person, the character, and the purpose of his heavenly father. And how does he do it? He does it in saving God's people. And so you remember in the gospel of John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going away. And Philip says, at least before you go, can you show us the father? Can you show us, can you unveil the Father? And what does Jesus said? Say, have I been with you this long, Philip, and you're asking me to show us the Father? He who has seen me, I'm going to turn it around in this terminology, has had the Father unveiled to them or to that person. So Jesus came to unveil, reveal the Father. And so how do we get to know the Father? We must then had the person and work and character of Jesus unveiled to us. And in so doing, we get to know the Father. He's the firstborn of the dead, the, rulers, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now stop for a moment. You're reading your Bible. The rent is due and you don't have the money. You've just got a very bad diagnosis. You're going through a terrible relational strife. You may lose your job. I don't know. Stop at this word. And it says this. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Now that's easy to read. Easy to go through. I read chapter 1. I'm off to chapter 2 and 3. I've got the churches down. Now I'm getting into this. I'm moving along. Well, you just miss a huge revelation. What does it do to your soul, to your mind, to your heart? What does it do to your fear, your anxiety, and your uncertainty? To read that this one, and I'll explain the firstborn in a moment, is the firstborn of the dead. And he is the ruler of Of the kings of the earth. What should that do for you? What should it do for you? When you see that. Savor it and think about it. And then allow the Holy Spirit. To begin to make that statement. Real in your life. Over and against. Whatever it is. That you are facing. Or over against anything. That is facing you. What should it do to you? can anybody help me here? What does it do when I am in a sinking boat, at least from my perspective, and I know that Jesus is the boat and he doesn't sink, and I'm told that, what will it do to my assurance? I may take on water. I may gulp a little bit. But this boat will not sink. It will get to the other shore. That's what that should say. Do you? Mm, I want us to feel it. I want us to feel this. Not interested in just speaking the word and moving through. If we don't feel the presence of God, we have missed much from God. the most wonderful statement we can make when we leave this room in here and leave this morning, this afternoon, is this. I met God. I met God. What does the firstborn mean? The firstborn, Jesus Christ is the firstborn. It describes his sonship. His sonship. What does that mean? You remember in Exodus Exodus chapter 4, the Lord says to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, let my son go. Well, he was talking about Israel. My firstborn son, let him go. So when the Lord uses that word firstborn son, it means that distinctive group of people who personally belong to God according to his predetermined desire and decision before the foundation of the world, God has a people, so it means sonship, so Jesus is the Son of God, and he 's not only the Son of God, the divine eternal Son of God, he's also the ruler. He is also described as having the highest rank and this verse here, this part of the verse comes from psalm eighty nine twenty seven where the Lord says this. I will make him, talking about David, but David, remember, is a symbol or a foreshadowing of the one to come. I will make him the firstborn. David wasn't the firstborn. It means I will make him my son. Relationship. Sonship in the Bible, spiritually speaking, has to do with relationship, not begetting physically. It is a relational term. Relational term. And I will make David the firstborn. The highest of the kings of the earth. And that's what he promises to make Jesus. There's no one higher. You remember in Philippians 2. After talking about Jesus humbled himself even unto death on the cross. What does Paul say? Wherefore also God has what? Given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every name. Knee shall bow of things in the heavens and on the earth and below the earth, and every tongue shall do what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is this verse here? When the church feels it is being torn apart. And it is helpless and hopeless. The Holy Spirit wants us to know something. You're God's people. And God has a purpose. And you're not going to be lost. And you may have to go through some terrible times. But there is the hope. And the certainty of Jesus' return. God will not let us go. He will hold on to us even when our grasp lets go of Him. It says, firstborn of the dead, Jesus declared his rank and his role. in the resurrection. His rank and his role were declared in the resurrection. Verse 5b. What does it say? Who loves us? Now that's a term that's easy to go past. Who loves us? I don't know But I'm willing to surmise that the central and deepest need of everyone here is only one need. Only one. The central and deepest need of everyone here is only one need. Billy, it's only one need you have. Charlie, one need. Daniel, there's only one need. That need is to personally experience the love of the Father. You have no other need. Because every need that we have is the result of God loving us and the outworking of God loving us. We need to stop for a moment, and we need to contemplate this word, because we read these words quickly, and we go along and I understand that I, I do the same thing sometimes stop and ask yourself, what does it mean?" Be loved by this being to meet our highest need at the highest cost for the highest benefit. What if the Holy Spirit? had not stopped in your life or in my life and personally invaded us with the loving forgiveness of God that transformed our hard heart. Remember Ezekiel 36, a heart of stone, and gave us a heart of flesh. What if God, the Holy Spirit, did not do that? is there anything in your life any relationship in your life any activity any future any any hope anything at all that can take the place of god not loving you would anyone in here say well you know i would trade god's love for whatever so victor del giorno will bring in 400 pounds of gold coins is it worth it? The single biggest need is the love of God. I remember I was not raised in a family where we experienced parental love wasn 't there, and as a result of that, for years raised sorry lived with a twisted Self centered sense of me. Now that happens and is the case with every unbeliever, but in some it's more active and obvious than in others. I never had the experience of feeling genuinely cared for, appreciated. Wasn't there. But God. Amen. On that day, sitting there reading from Ezekiel, I didn't know who Ezekiel was, all of a sudden being flooded. <gasps> And I remember it was like a heavy rock being lifted from my shoulders. And I said, the whole thing's true. And as I walked up and down outside on Walmsley Avenue, uptown, I kept saying, the war is over. The war is over. Jack, I didn't know what war I was talking about. All I knew was the war was over. I had never experienced... And from that moment, God began to fill me with the experience of His love and reached into the depth of what was wrong with me and began to, over periods of years and still going on, cleansing me, freeing me, all because of His love. Isn't that what Ephesians 2.4 says? That's what Ephesians 2.4 tells us. So when I'm reading the word and I said, who loves us. And now, not only did he love us, how does he love you? What does he do? What does it say? Who freed us from our sins by his own blood. We need to ponder these and and experience God in these things. Take time to sit at the banquet table of the Lord and not just gulp it down. Sometimes you eat, okay, at a regular pace, but then sometimes say, wait, 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 I need to stop. And experience what I'm tasting. Because I've never tasted food like this before. And because I'm experiencing what I'm tasting as never before, I am now motivated to can't wait to the next meal, and to the next meal, and to the next meal. And I begin to find my passion and purpose wanting to be drawn into to experience this meal of this master chef. Perhaps we don't read our Bible sufficiently or don't consider it so important because we have not tasted the meal that way. But we've gone a kind of gulped it down. And so what is the result of us having been loved as he forgave us our sins through his own blood? What is the result? Remember I said the greatest need, who loves us? The greatest cost, the cross. And the greatest benefit to us, what is it? And as a result, who are we today? A kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests unto our God. Yes, Satan may think he is ruling our lives. And it may seem like God is not the ruler of our lives, but he is. He is. In 6b, the verse says, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Because this is the proclamation of our vocal cords to exclaim to God... What he deserves our worshipful praise and adoration. This is why God gives us this word or every word in his Bible. Look at verse 7. Behold, He's coming back with the clouds. I don't like the way I read that. Behold! 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 He is coming back, and he ain't going to be alone. The Bible doesn't say he's coming back in the clouds. He's coming back with the clouds. Who are the clouds? Hebrews 12, 1. Now that we are surrounded with such great, what? Cloud of witnesses. The cloud of a whitewash people of God who are coming back with Jesus Christ. And whose appearance in the, with these clouds of people, the dazzling white, makes it look like a great and cloudy day. We're not talking about cloudy weather. We are talking about the cloud of those who are with Christ returning to be with him. Church, he's coming back. He is coming back. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Remember the Greek alphabet? That's about all I know of it. <laughs> alpha beginning, Omega what? Ending. What is Jesus saying here? Wait, wait, wait. He's just not giving us a foreign language. He's teaching us something about himself. I am the beginning. But where do we see that? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Then moving down to verse fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, that glory as of the Only Begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's coming back. He's coming back. And I want to close with this verse. I want to jump down to verse fifty, a seventeen rather. John has turned to see this one who is speaking to him and he sees a man dressed in priestly garments, the white dazzling robe, the golden girdle, the hair of wool, the blazing eyes, the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Remember Hebrews 4.12. And he falls at his feet like a dead man. And I think that's two things. It's reverence, And I believe it's also fear. I think he's reverentially scared to death. But the question is this. When we read the description of this man, this heavenly, exalted, ruling and returning man, when we read these descriptions... Is anything like that happening in my heart and mind as happened with John? Oh, well, no, I had the grace of God. No. He is experiencing the grace of God as a living human being more than any of us will ever experience it. And what does he do? He falls as a dead man. And what is Jesus' word? Hey, what you doing on the ground? Get up. Don't you know you've been free? Don't you know you're a child of God? Don't you know? Don't you know? Sometimes we know it too lightly. He says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Okay. The church reads Revelation. What is the word? There is a man in the heavens who has been crucified for the forgiveness of the sin of God's people. Who has risen from the dead by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Who has ascended into heaven And has been exalted in the highest place. And who has sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. For the birth of those people for whom he died. And history moves forward. And the God of this world, Satan, begins increasingly so. To war against these people. And they're going to go through literal hell on earth. They need help. They need to see that there is a man in the heavens who is ruling in such a way that he is superintending every aspect of what's going on. Do you believe that? Wait until tomorrow morning and you get caught by that red light when you needed to get somewhere. What's wrong with God anyway? Is he superintending everything about your life? Is he? Yes or no? That's not the question. The question is this. Do I have faith? Do I have faith for it? Do I believe it? And he who sits in the heavens, as shown in Revelation, is going to systematically, through all these events, some of which are described one way in one chapter, chapter 6, the visions, I'm sorry, the, uh, the book, and in chapter 8, the trumpets, um, come on, come on, old man, the uh, seals and the trumpet. One perspective from earth, one perspective from heaven. It's a circular kind of a thing. It's not literal, lateral history. It's a circular thing. And he's giving all this to show he's coming back. Listen to his words. The last words of Jesus in this revelation, turn to Revelation 22. The very last words of Jesus, John says in agreement, but the last words of Jesus, Revelation 22, 12. What does he say? What does he say? Am I in the wrong verse? Is it verse 12? Somebody help me. What does he say? I'm coming back. Is that what he says? I'm coming back. Church, I don't know what you're going through. The question is this, is he coming back? Is he or not? I can't hear. Yes. Yes. We need to be bellicose about this. He's coming back. And because he's coming back, I will by his grace and power make it through in victory with him. All the way to the end. You see, Revelation is not so much about activities and people and armies. Ah. Incidentally, it is, but not primarily. It's about God's great man. And it's written for us to be encouraged. This morning... Let's be encouraged by the Holy Spirit as Pastor Keith comes up.
1: Can you just give us an opportunity to draw near to the Spirit because one of the things Peter mentioned and that we've been studying as we study the Bible is in an amazing and terrible thing that we can read the Bible from a distance. And we can hear some things that didn't affect the way I'm going to walk out of this meeting. It didn't seep in and adjust my mindset. So that's got to be done personally. The preacher can't do that. He can't create your response and he can't make you come near. Just set something out there and sit it here and then you can decide, do I want to be near to that? So can we just give the Holy Spirit just a moment? I'm not going to take long to do this. I just don't want any of us to be unengaged because this is what we're seeking. To do. We want to encounter God now, right? So let's just be quiet and maybe bow your heads. Listen, let God speak to your setting I, just, I had two particular impressions, the maybe share and have us ponder, of the many revelations that are given about this one person to whom everything is coming back to. Lord, at the end, it all comes back to you. And it's all about you. And the heavenly future that we have is all centered on who you are. And we're going to be delighted. And we're not going to be bored and we're not going to be distracted, we're going to be in amazement and wonder, and you are going to be all that we could ever hope for. And Lord, you shared these things with us today so that we can have some of that now here. But Lord, in this room are some who read those words to him who loves us, to him who loves us. They are in a setting in their life, in a season of their life where they don't feel your love. Maybe you're here this morning and you are more aware of your desperation to be loved by others than you are aware of the greatness of God's love for you. And you feel the weight of persuading others and hoping for others, hoping for others' affections upon you, hoping someone that's really important in your world will turn their attention to you and give to you a sense of care and notoriety, and you're special to them. They have affections for you. And and you live every day wondering whether that guy or that gal is going to do that in your life. Whether your children or some group is going to be that in your life. And it's a source of struggle and disappointment and heavy emotions. And right next to you is a word you can draw near to. To him who loves you there is a love there to be plunged, there's a love to dive into, there's an affection there's a pursuit there's one outside of you who takes notice of you who is concerned who delights in you, who runs after you, who goes ahead of you to make provision, who plans special things for you this God. He has an abundance of that for you. Come near. Come near this morning, right now. Come near. Draw near to this God. Draw near to this God right now by turning your attention away from those that you're seeking to obtain their love. You're so desperately after their love. Can you put them down for one second? Can you right now mentally put them down? down. Say, Lord, right now in this holy place, I don't want to be obsessed with their love. I want to look to your love. I want to put down my need for their love. I want to turn to your love. God, remind me. Pick my face up and pull it towards yours. And let me gaze upon the God who loves, gives, pursues, nurtures, delights, has affection for me. Because one day, Lord, when we see you face to face, we will not be obsessed with anybody else's love. We will not be gazing out into the audience to, to find him or her or them to see, do they love me? what do they feel for me? We will gaze upon your love and your love alone and that's all that will matter to us and it will be the alpha and the omega of love. It will be everything we've ever needed it to be. But Lord, we need that now. Lord, we we don't just need that one day in heaven. We need that now. So Lord, when we read your word, when we come near to your word, Lord, dislodge some things that are in the wrong parking spaces. Things taking up your place in our lives. Lord, things that have grown too important to us that we are looking to and chronically we live in disappointment, in fear. Here, Lord, you you park here. Lord, this is your spot. And let us look to you. Lord, let us be aware this morning as we leave from this place, there is a God who loves us. And in the end, when everything is summed up and the lights are turned out on this place, and we engage a new heaven and a new earth, Lord, in that day, all that will matter to us is your great love. Lord, give us a taste of that now. Free us from the things that control us and the fears that we have by turning our attention to that great love. God, we thank you for nearness. God, we thank you for interrupting busyness and distractions and letting us hear those words come from you, letting them be deposited in you, letting you rehearse with us all the ways in which you have demonstrated your love for us. God, this morning we say thank you. Lord, we, we venture back out into our week. We venture back out into our lives, the settings where people are around us that were tempted to look to their love to make us whole. Lord, send us back out there this week with a mindfulness, Lord, that only your love ultimately can make us whole. But I believe that'll change our week this week. It'll change how we love others. It'll change how we look to others. It'll change who we're going to be in others' lives because you, you have been to us what we have needed you to be. And that was right there in your word all along for us to experience. So Lord, thank you, for opening our hearts and opening our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, awesome week. Hey, small groups, don't forget your small groups. Start, I think, tomorrow night's first one.